for those of you who followed along in the teaching I did on how to hear God's voice, we identified that there is a variety of ways in which Father speaks and communicates with us. And one of the ways he communicates with us is in our thoughts. Father puts things in our thoughts. And this is why I believe Paul tells us we got to take every thought captive. Every thought that we have, we have to examine it to see where it's coming from. Because there are thoughts that you will get. And some of us have received thoughts. As a matter of fact, in the teaching, I talked about how people talk about I should have listened to my first mind. It's like how many minds you got? Well, in essence, brothers and sisters, we got two. Those of us who are in Messiah, we got our own mind and we got the mind of Messiah. We've got the ability to think the thoughts of Elohim. And whether we operate in the mind of Messiah or we operate in our own mind, we've got two minds. And I say to us that we're all schizophrenic in some sense. There's the spiritual us and there's the carnal us. And within the one us, there is two of us. One of us is not interested in doing what Father wants. And it's going to find a way to get its own way. Even if getting its own way is going contrary to what Father wants. This is some of the stuff we deal with when we're dealing with parents, when we're dealing with siblings, when we're dealing with children, when we're dealing with spouses. Every man wants his own way. Few of us want what Father wants because when we want what Father wants, we have to put ourselves aside. The nature of humans is not to put self aside. The nature of humans is to demand its own way. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Isaac was still alive when Jacob returns to the land. Remember, Jacob had obtained the birthright, but had not taken possession of any of his father's possessions. The last thing Jacob knew about Esau was that his mother said Esau was planning to kill him. So Jacob sends messengers ahead of his arrival to inform Esau that he was already very wealthy and was not coming to take possession of anything. He only wants Esau to not take revenge on him. The messengers return to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he come to meet you and 400 men is with him. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Jacob prays and reminds Jehovah of his words and promise of protection. Today's study title is, Your Gifts Will Make Room For You. So, let's study. Again, today I want to talk to you about your gifts will make room for you. And as I was going through Genesis chapter 32 here, I couldn't help but think about the words of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16. And Proverbs says, a man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. Now, in the church, we were taught that you got to use your gifts, your talents, your abilities that father gave you. 
when in fact Solomon is not talking about, or the writer of Proverbs here is not talking about spiritual gifts, because at this particular time, it is not dealing with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is acknowledged in the New Testament by Paul when he began to talk about, and the gifts of the Spirit are. We know that the presence of the Almighty in times of old manifested his presence, his power, his abilities in the lives of those who were yielded to him. But as far as spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts were given to those who were filled, baptized with the Spirit. However, as we've gone through other teachings, we also recognize that the primary manifestation of the Holy Spirit, when it was given or released upon men in days of old, was to prophesy that people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit will speak forth the words, the things, the thoughts, the revelation of the Most High. And so the prophets were endued with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to hear from the Almighty and to declare or to proclaim what thus saith Jehovah. We also, as we're jumping a little ahead now, when Moses went before the Almighty, he told Moses to set aside these men. And he would set aside these men. And when Moses set aside these men, he said, I'm going to put the spirit that I've put on you on these men. And when those men were set aside by Moses, father took the spirit of Moses that he'd put on Moses and put on those individuals. And the Bible says they all prophesied. There were two men in the camp who had not joined themselves. And in the camp, they prophesied. The Bible tells us that when the Holy Spirit, when father said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, sons and daughters will prophesy. And so the gifts of the spirit is not in operation. When Solomon writes this, he's actually talking about physical manifested objects, monies, tangible things that individuals would present in order to get an audience with great men. And this is what he's dealing with here. You'll see this as I break this down in politics. People in politics give large donations and contributions. This is what super PACs are all about. Foundations and charities, people give large amounts of money to get their names on buildings. They are looking to curry favor, depending on the size of their contribution. And that is very much displayed in this current administration we're in, in who gets the ear of the leader and who gets to sit at the head tables political appointments, <laughs> charities, cabinets, and, and councils, and ambassadorships. And this is where tax returns <laughs> come into play. Why? Because tax returns tell the financial story. Who or what organization you donated to, and who or what organization donated to you, or gave you business for favor. When people make large contributions, Oftentimes, there is some kind of string that is attached to those contributions. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. This is what happens. And I'll tell you something right off the bat. Father does not have a problem with you trying to curry favor. The thing Father has a problem with is bribery. When people use money for bribes. 
This is the thing that he has big issue with. And so we are going to look at a particular situation where gifts become a vital part of atonement or reconciliation. In chapter 32, verse one, and Jacob went on his way and the angels of Elohim met him. For those of you who've been following us, remember Jacob initiated a agreement between Esau to get his birthright. Esau was hungry. Jacob made some porridge and Esau gave him the birthright for that porridge. And then when came down to the blessing, what Jacob wanted was not so much material things. Jacob wanted his father's blessing. The birthright brought forth an actual blessing. And this blessing is what he went after. And of course, he, his mom told him to do certain things. Jacob was not willing to do those things. And his mother took the responsibility. And so he obeyed his mother. And this was all because of a prophecy. When his mom was pregnant and they were wrestling in the womb and the father told her when she inquired of him that there were two uh, people in the womb. One was going to be stronger than the other and the older would serve the younger. And so mom had this and she carried this with her. And now comes the time where she hear her husband tell her son Esau to go out and kill a animal and make him some of that spicy meat that he likes. <laughs> and of course, while he was out, while Esau was out there hunting, uh, his mom made that spicy meat, sent Jacob in and dressed up in wool and, and smelling like Esau. And of course, Isaac pronounced the blessing onto Jacob. Well, Jacob mom found out that Esau was going to kill him when his father died. And so her could, she convinced Isaac to send Jacob away. Jacob goes to Laban's house. He works for seven years thinking he's going to get Rachel. He ends up with Leah. He works another seven years for Rachel, a total of 14 years, and then another six years for Laban in order to put in place a plan that father had revealed to him in a dream. And now father has come to Jacob and said to Jacob, it's time for you to return to your father's country, not to your father's house. He says, it's time for you to return to your father's country. And at that particular point, the father's country, Isaac, was in the land of Canaan that would later on become the land of Israel. And it would be named after Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. So now Jacob is on his way and Jacob went on his way and the angels of Elohim met him. Now the angels, the word here is Malik and that's the messenger. A angel is a messenger and there are Angel is used 111 times, messenger 98 times, ambassador. That's the word there in the Hebrew. The angels met Jacob, but we're not told why they met Jacob. Doesn't tell us what they said to Jacob when they met him, if they said anything. Jacob saw the angels of Elohim as he was leaving his homeland on his way to Haran. Haran and as we read in this passage, the angels of Elohim met him now 
on the way back to the homeland. And if you remember in, uh, I believe it was chapter number 28, when he was on his way, he was in a place and he saw the angels of Elohim ascending and descending on this ladder. And he saw the almighty standing at the top of this ladder. And he named that place Bethel or Bethel, as some would say, this was after seeing these angels in a dream in verse two, chapter 32, it says, and when Jacob saw them, saw the angels of God, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And it means two camps. So in one place, he called the place Bethel and he said, this is surely the house of Elohim. And I did not know it. And now he's on his way back and he sees these angels and he says, okay, this is Mahanaim, which means two camps or the angels of hosts. And so this is what he calls them. Now, what's interesting here is that Jacob now has been in a place where he says, this is the house of Elohim. He's now in another place. He says, this is the camp of Elohim. And this is where individuals get the name Bethel, whereas they're saying Bethel means the house of El or the house of Elohim. And Mahanaim means two camps. Jacob called the first place. He saw the angels of Jehovah and Jehovah standing above the ladder. He called that place Bethel or house of Elohim. And my spelling is just terrible today. But although Jacob called the place Bethel and here the camp of Elohim, Jehovah declared the earth is his footstool and the heavens his throne room. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, that we can get a little bit mixed up, especially when it comes down to using words, Hebrew words, Greek words, and we assign words to things based on what individuals are speaking. So the question is, is that what is father saying? Because Jacob declared this was the house of Elohim. However, we know that the earth is not big enough (laughs) for father to call his house. In fact, he doesn't call it his house. Isaiah said, and this is Isaiah quoting Jehovah. He says, thus said Jehovah. The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Now, any of you who have a a lounger, you probably have one of those uh, recliners and you know, you got that little thing that comes out from the bottom and it allows you to rest your feet. Some of you do it the old fashioned way. You might actually have a two piece chair where you actually got a footstool, a place where you place your foot. And if you can imagine that and get a vision of it, what you're seeing is father reclining in heaven and his feet propped up on the earth, which is his footstool. That's just a a small image. He says, where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? And then Yeshua, when he was talking about people making um, swearing, he says, In verse 34, Matthew 5, but I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is Elohim's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And so Yeshua reiterates, in a sense, what the prophet spoke, but then Stephen, before he's stoned, in Acts chapter 7, he quotes Isaiah when he says, heaven is my throne. 
and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith Jehovah? Or what is the place of my rest? There are places in the earth where we try to make holy. <laughs> we try to make them sacred. We call them sacred. We call them holy. You see, the temple, for instance, the temple, in a sense, became more sacred than the Elohim the temple was set up to serve. <laughs> there are times when we can ascribe sacredness to a location as if the Almighty is confined to that location. We can't confine him. Doesn't matter what you, you can call it the temple, the house, Bethel, whatever you want. He doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands. And this is what makes us so unique because father is saying, listen, when I look at my little self, now I'm not a little man, but compared to some men, I'm little. <laughs> and compared to others, I might be big, but I'm not bigger than this building. And yet, Father decides he wants to dwell in me. Look at you. Father decides he wants to dwell in you. And the sad thing about it is that people have no problem ascribing a place as the place of worship instead of themselves as being the house of worship. You see, you are the temple. Wherever you are, he is if. He dwells in you. And this is the mistake many people make. They think they got to go here. They got to go there. They got to go to that place. Matter of fact, Yeshua, when the woman said to him in John chapter four, says, listen, you people, you Jews say Jerusalem is the place to worship. But we, our father say on this mountain. And Yeshua says, listen, it's neither in Jerusalem nor in this mountain. What Father is looking for is true worshipers, those who will worship him in spirit and truth. True worshipers is not a building. True worshipers is not a location. True worshipers are not someplace you go. True worshipers is where you are. The church is, is not a building. The church is the people. It's the assembly where two or more are gathered together in his name. But people have a tendency to ascribe a place as sacred, and that's the place they go to meet with him, <laughs> not realizing that you taking him with you. So if he's with you, why you got to go there? Why can't you do it here where you are? The purpose of the assembly is to keep the command to not forsake the assembly of the saints. Why? Because we need one another. I can't say I don't need you. You can't say I don't need me. Father has set this thing up to where we need one another. We inspire one another. We encourage one another. We provoke one another. We challenge one another. We strengthen one another. We build one another up and we shouldn't be tearing each other down. And so he says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Imagine just looking up and seeing a big old pair of feet. <laughs> Jacob calls the place two camps. 
And then Jacob later splits into two groups or two camps. So it's interesting that what he see is like somehow it appears that there is some communication going on, but we don't see the communication. We know that when we were looking at how Jacob began to multiply his herd and his flock was because of a vision or a dream that he had seen. He saw it in a dream where father spoke to him. And then a chapter or two later, we saw him reveal the dream, but we saw the manifestation of the dream in an earlier chapter, which is another reason why we say that Genesis is not in chronological order. In fact, there are times where the Bible jumps ahead and then it pulls back. It gives us a glimpse into what's coming and then it pulls back and share with us what's going on. And you have to pay attention to that. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Now, what's interesting here is that the messengers that he sent is the same Greek word for the angels. Why? Because the angels are also messengers. So there are human messengers and then there are angelic messengers, but it shares the same name or word. Remember now, Jacob had obtained the birthright, but had not taken possession of any of his father's possession. You're going to see that we're going to go through these chapters. Jacob doesn't go to his father's house. He's in the land for a few years. And if there is a communication or visitation between he and his father, it's not revealed in these chapters. Why? Because father told him to go to his father's country. He doesn't get to his father's house. At least if he does, we don't see it. The last thing Jacob knew about Esau was what his mother said. And that was Esau was planning to kill him. Now in chapter 27, verse 42, it says in these words of Esau, her elder son were told to Rebecca and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son and said unto him, behold, your brother Esau as touching thee doth comfort himself purposing to kill you. Now Esau said to some folks and a servant heard it and told Rebecca says, listen, my daddy's getting old. He's about to die. As soon as he's dead, I'm going to kill Jacob. This is what he's saying. See Esau felt that he was deceived by Jacob in the birthright, but Jacob obtained the birthright legitimately. He made a deal with, with Esau. He didn't trick him. Esau was hungry. Because if he had tricked Esau in giving up the birthright, then father would not have been angry with Esau. The Bible says, I love Jacob, but Esau, I hate. Basically, Esau did not put value to something that was valuable. Now, when you think about it, a blessing is simply a pronouncing of words but it seemed to have carried a whole lot more weight than we may ascribe to it. Because when Esau came in, he says, don't you have another blessing for me? As if there was only one blessing. (laughs) It wasn't something casually released. He said to him, go and make me some of that spicy meat that I like, and then I can bless you. (laughs) And so this was something serious. Isaac was still alive when Jacob returns to the land. 
And so Jacob sends messengers to inform Esau that he was already very wealthy and was not coming to take possession of anything for he had his own. He only wants Esau to not take revenge on him. In verse four, and he commanded them saying, thus saith ye, speak unto my Lord. These are the messengers. And notice he's calling Esau Lord. Thy servant Jacob says thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants, women servants. And I've sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. The messenger's message caused fear and distress to Jacob, but he did not kill the messengers. <laughs> Instead, when the messengers came back and told him what was going on, Jacob now moves into a position of strategizing and took his strategy before Jehovah, or possibly he received this strategy from Jehovah via the angels. We don't know. But when we look at what he called the place, two camps, and then later on, he divides himself into two camps. There seems to be some kind of correlation, even though there's no communication telling us what that is. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. And also he cometh to meet you with 400 men. <laughs> That's a lot of men to be coming to meet the brother. You know, it's enough to sit in fear across the land. And it did. Because in verse 7, it says, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And so he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands. And this word two bands is a play on Mahanaim to where it is actually dealing with Manahim Manah. The word Shanaim is two and Mahana means encampment or camp. So the two words there, two bands, is two camps. In verse 8, it says, and, and he said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, and here's the strategy. I'm going to split into two camps, and we're going to separate. If he smite one, then the other may be able to escape. Jacob prays, and here's something that is always important for us to remember. When you get a word from the Almighty, hang on to it for life. Because what I have found is that Father will speak to us to tell us what he's going to do, but it may be a lot of time in between him doing it. In fact, he spoke some things to Abraham and told Abraham, says, now what I'm telling you, you're not going to see this happen, but your descendants is going to go into a land, not their own. They're going to be ill-treated. They'll be there for 400 years. And so what is he saying? I got some promises for you, but it's going to be, it's going to be a few hundred years before those promises actually manifest themselves. And so when father gives you a word, in fact, this word that Jacob is about to remind Jehovah of, he got that word 20 years earlier, 20 years has transpired from the time father spoke this thing to him. To where now he's going to remind father of some of the things that he spoke to him. In addition to some of the things he spoke to him while he was still in Haran. And Jacob said, Oh God, my father, Abraham and God of my father, Isaac, or God of my father, Abraham and God of my father, Isaac, the Lord, Jehovah, which says unto me, now you told me, this is what he said. It's like, okay, 
Esau is on his way with 400 men. I'm scared to death. But you told me, return unto thy country, (laughs) unto thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. Now you see this? He says, I'm going to deal well with you, but what I see coming don't look well. (laughs) This is why, brothers and sisters, we have to walk by faith. We can't walk by sight because our sight will mess us up. Based on what the messenger said and the fact that Esau is on his way with 400 men and Jacob knew how they left. He knew the reason why they left. Jacob was sent away because Esau was planning on killing him. And now he's coming back and Esau is on his way with 400 men to beat him. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast shown unto thy servant. For with my staff, I passed over this Jordan. In other words, when I came out of my father's house, all I had was the staff that I brought with me. And now there's so many of us. We've got two bands. We're in two separate camps. Deliver me. (laughs) I pray thee. From the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children, the multitude. And thou says, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. This is what he said to him on his way to Iran. <laughs> you said you're going to do good. And make the seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered. Now he can count what he's got with him now. So he's reminding father. And then whether this is something father reveals to him. And here's where things get a little ambiguous in ways for me. Because in some cases, we wonder whether or not is Jacob getting these ideas and these thoughts from his own? Or are these ideas and thoughts being imparted into him by the Almighty himself? Because see, for those of you who followed along in the teaching I did on how to hear God's voice, we identified that there is a variety of ways in which Father speaks and communicates with us. And one of the ways he communicates with us is in our thoughts. Father puts things in our thoughts. And this is why I believe Paul tells us we got to take every thought captive. Every thought that we we have, we have to examine it to see where it's coming from. Because there are thoughts that you will get. And some of us have received thoughts. As a matter of fact, in the teaching, I talked about how people talk about, I should have listened to my first mind. It's like how many minds you got. Well, in essence, brothers and sisters, we got two. Those of us who are in Messiah, we got our own mind and we got the mind of Messiah. We've got the ability to think the thoughts of Elohim and whether we operate in the mind of Messiah or we operate in our own mind, we've got two minds. And I say to us that we're all schizophrenic in some sense. There's the spiritual us and there's the carnal us. And within the one us, there is two of us. One of us is not interested in doing what father wants. And it's going to find a way to get its own way. Even if getting its own way is going contrary to what father wants. 
This is some of the stuff we deal with when we're dealing with parents, when we're dealing with siblings, when we're dealing with children, when we're dealing with spouses. Every man wants his own way. Few of us want what father wants. Because when we want what father wants, we have to put ourselves aside. The nature of humans is not to put self aside. The nature of humans is to demand its own way. The mind of Messiah says we have to esteem one another above ourselves. Husbands and wives. There are times when a husband has to put his wife before himself. And a wife has to put her husband before herself. But selfish people can't do it. It doesn't work that way. And this is why we find divorce statistics, breakups, individuals who can't stay in a solid relationship because everybody is trying to get their own way and putting demands on other people. And as a result, what happens is you have individuals who become selfish and self-centered. It takes a lot of work to do things Father's way. And in order to do things Father's way, we got to put him first in our lives. Verse 13, and he lodged there, Jacob, that same night and took of that which came to him or which that which came to his hand, a present for Esau, his brother. Now, this word, minka, is a gift. This present is used in a variety of ways in the Bible as an offering, a present, a gift, an oblation, a sacrifice. And so what Jacob decides, either on his own or by the thought of Elohim, he decides that he's going to... Now, the very numbers here should give us an idea of the wealth of Jacob. I mean, look at this. He set aside 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 female sheep and 20 males, 30 milking camels or camels with young with their coats. So there's 30 camels. We don't know how many coats it was, how many babies who were sucking. And then 40 kinds. So there's 30 milk camels with their coats, 40 kind, which is a female cattle or female cow. And then 10 bulls, which are 10 male cows, 20 she asses and ten foals, which are males. So what, what does he do? He set aside 550 animals. That's a lot of animals. If that was all he had, that's a lot of animals. But I would dare say he didn't give Jacob all he had. More than likely, probably gave him a tenth. We don't know the percentage. And so he set these aside as a gift to appease. We'll see that in a moment. He wants to find grace because if, if you remember, Jacob now is trying to find grace in favor in Esau's sight. And so he set aside all of these animals. 
In verse 16, it says, and he delivered them into the hands of his servants, every drove by themselves and said unto his servants, pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And, and so what it is, is that kind and kind, if you would, you've got the goats, that's one drove, the sheep, that's another drove, the cattle, that's another drove, the camels, that's another drove, the asses or donkeys, uh, that's another drove. So you've got basically five different groups. You got 220 goats, 220 sheep, 30 camels and their goats, 50 cattle, 30 asses, and that's a total of 550 plus. Because again, we don't know how many coats there are. Doesn't give us the number. And he commanded the first saying, when he saw my brother meet you. So I want you to get an image. There's one group and then there's a, another group. So you got one group going and then not so far behind another group. And then not so far behind another group. And so it's like, Esau is going to hit wave after wave after wave of gifts. So when Esau meet you and ask you saying, who are you and where are you going and whose are these before thee? In other words, he's saying, who are you guys? Where are you going? And whose stuff is this? This is what you ought to say. They be for, they be thy servant Jacob's. Notice what he says, thy servant. So Jacob now is calling himself a servant and he's calling Esau his Lord. And these, they are a present, a gift sent unto my Lord Esau. (laughs) And behold, also he is behind us. And so he commanded the second and the third And all that followed the droves saying on this manner, shall you speak unto Esau when you find him five droves and five, my Lords Genesis 32 20 and say you moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us for he said, and now this period say you moreover, behold, your servant Jacob is behind you. And then Jacob is saying, for he said, for Jacob is saying now, I will appease him. The reason why I'm doing this is I want to appease Esau. Why do he need to appease Esau? Remember, Jacob's memory, the last thing he remembers about Esau is what his mother said. Esau is going to kill you when your daddy died. This has been with Jacob for 20 years. Esau is going to kill you when your daddy died. And I can imagine that Jacob wasn't in no hurry to go back to Canaan because he's there 20 years. And here's another thing. Jacob could have gotten comfortable in Haran. I mean, he's got a good job. He's got two wives, two concubines. He's got children. He's got animals galore. He's got men servants. He's got maid servants. He could have made a very nice life. But see, Jacob knew when he left because his word to Jehovah is that, listen, if you take me where I'm going safely, 
provide for me food and raiment and bring me back to my father's house safely, I will give you a tenth of everything I own. So Jacob's prayer was that one day he was going to be brought back to his father's house. All these years go by, and Father, the Bible says, as we looked a couple of weeks ago, he reminded Jacob of his vow. He stirred up trouble in Haran. <laughs> he began to cause Laban to get, you know, start looking at him crazy. <laughs> he said, Laban started looking at me in ways he hadn't looked at me like that before. He overheard Laban's son said, this joker that, that took our father's wealth. All of our father's stuff is now his. So there's some troubling in the water. And Jacob realizes things is about to maybe get ugly. And you know what I see here? Sometimes father has to stir up trouble in one area to get you to move. He's got to cause a little uneasiness. Well, sometimes there's a whole lot of uneasiness depending on how stubborn you are. And so he got stuff stirred up. He prepared the wives because now these wives have to leave. You know, it's, it's tough when you have family members, you know, your grandmother or grandfather, and you have grandchildren and children. And now the children and the grandchildren are saying, it's time for us to move on. We got to go and, you know, that could be devastating to grandparents. And it seems as if there was some, some of that with Laban, although there were other things as well, because he accused Jacob of taking his daughters and taking his sons and not even giving him an opportunity to kiss them and to throw a party for them and to say goodbye. But father had told Jacob, it's time for you to get out of here. And he talked with his wives and they saw, hey, you know, our father has taken all of our inheritance, even the money that you paid for him. And he squandered that money and he treats us like we're not even worth anything. So, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so all of the circumstances in everybody who had decision in the process was in place. It was like the perfect scenario at the perfect time. And Jacob Took three days, got a three-day head start. Laban, we found out, pursued them for seven <laughs> days. And so get what it says here. And he says, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterwards, I will see his face. Peradventure, he will accept me. In other words, I'm sending these gifts so that he will accept me. These gifts are for the purpose of him accepting me. Jacob is trying to find favor. He's trying to find favor or grace with his brother. In verse five, it says, and I have ox and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I've sent to tell my master that I may find grace in his sight. He's trying to find grace. He's trying to find favor in his sight so that Esau would not have the attitude to do harm to him, but to do him good, to receive him. And as we go through this, you're going to see 
that Jacob is not interested in going with him, but he's going to go in a different way. We'll get to that later next week, maybe week after. And so that word appease, and this is an interesting word, is to cover, to purge, to make an atonement, to make reconciliation, to cover over with pitch. And it's uh, kafar. It's the word for Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, on Kippur, the priests present kafar. They present the offering of atonement. And the whole idea is for reconciliation. The Day of Atonement is to atone for the sins of the nation so that whatever breach between them and the Almighty, the nation and the Almighty would be reconciled. And so here, uh, Jacob is looking to be reconciled with his brother. He's presenting offerings, gifts for the reconciliation process in order to appease his brother and to be accepted by his brother. And there he finds the grace that he's seeking. This word is used for atonement in 71 places, 71 times in the American version of the Bible, purge seven reconciliation, the reconcile, forgive, and all of these other words. And so what does Jacob do? Jacob sent five sets of gifts before him to Esau to appease him and to find grace and favor with Esau. And then so went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. Now, next week, we're going to continue in this particular chapter of Genesis. We're going to find that there's more to this. We'll, We'll get into that next week. So again, we look at Proverbs eighteen sixteen because what Jacob does is that he prepares these gifts and he sends them to his brother. And I couldn't help but think or wonder because Solomon was the ruler. It's like, okay, you ever felt somebody was trying to buy you? It's like you didn't see the string attached, but you kind of felt that there were some strings attached to that gift. And most gifts, there are strings attached to it. There are. Because you'll find that when people are genuinely presenting gifts to you, it has a tendency to make you want to do something for them. That's how it works. You give a gift and it's like, well, I didn't get you anything. And don't worry about it. You don't have to get me anything. And all you can think about is like, I didn't get that person anything. And now you want to... You want to at least get this off your back or get this off of you. So you find a way to present something to the person. And it's like in in your mind, it's like, okay, now we even. (laughs) A man's gift makes room for him and bring him before great men. The greater the gift, the greater opportunity you have to come before great men. And then I want to close your gifts, your offerings will cause you to gain favor in the sight of Jehovah. And in the sight of men, your offerings, your gifts, you'll find that when father is talking to the children of Israel, he's talking about vows. He's talking about gifts. He's talking about free will offerings. He's talking about offerings and tithe. 
all of these things, you know, and he talked about the Sabbath besides all of these, you know, that these are the feast offerings besides your new moon offerings, besides your Sabbath offerings, or besides your not new moon offerings, um, besides your Sabbath offerings, besides your gifts and free will offerings and your vows. And so when we present ourselves and we present our offerings before the Almighty, it's not that the Almighty need your gift or he need your offering in the sense it's how attached or how unattached are you? Do you believe that what you have is greater than what he has to offer? I heard one preacher say before father releases what is in his hands to you, you have to release what's in your hand to him. That if you give, it will be given. If you sow, you will reap. Whatsoever man sows is what a man reap. And he who sows sparingly, what are they going to reap? Sparingly, he who sows bountifully, how are they going to reap? Bountifully, because this law was established from the flood. There will always be what? Summer, winter, sea time, and harvesting. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>